the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I'd like to take a quick survey of those who are here this morning in person. How many of you are like me and love roller coasters? You're into roller coasters, okay? Not maybe a third, about half. How many are like my wife and will not get on a roller coaster if you paid her? Okay. How many are somewhere in between? Give me, get right somewhere in between. You might do it. It's not your favorite. Okay, there we go. No matter where you stand on it, I think you'll understand the the feeling that I'm about to convey. Uh, I love roller coasters because they scare me, but I've enjoyed them a whole lot more recently because I literally had a talk with myself. I spoke some truth to myself, and I said, "John, you should try it sometime." Now, don't say John. Say your own name. I said, "John." You holding on until your knuckles turn white is doing nobody any good whatsoever. If anything went wrong, that's not going to save you. And if, if nothing goes wrong, what's actually going to keep you safe is that harness and those seat belts that are keeping thousands of people safe all day long before and after you ride this thing. Just enjoy the ride. And I listened to myself and I said, okay. And ever since then, I've enjoyed them way more than I ever did before. I still am not to the, I'm not one of those people that keeps my hands up all the way. Pretty sure they're going to get cut off or something, even though I know better. <laughs> Working on that, going to have another talk later. But this past week at Kidman Megacon, I was reminded of this because uh, the author Jenny Allen spoke. And she said the most powerful way to help anybody through anxiety is simply to touch them on the shoulder and remind them of what is true. Not so much just something that is true, just anything that is true, but foundational truths, things that don't change, things that are real regardless of what it feels like, that you love them, that they're okay, they're going to be okay, different things like that. Now, I was reminded of my experience with the roller coasters, and I'm reminded about these truths that we're going to walk through one more time today. In, in a world where we're constantly being ber- berated with things that we're supposed to be upset about and worried about and divided over. Some of which are actual issues, some of which are just hype. I'm not going to say which ones because I know better. Are you with me? But listen, in a world where we're constantly being told about terrible things, real and imagined, there are always still things that are true. And Christians, it's our job, brothers and sisters, it's our job to put our hands on the shoulders of the people around us and remind them of what is true, to live those things that are true. So I hope that everything we're going to walk through this morning is at least somewhat familiar, but please don't tune it out. Please don't say, oh, I've heard this one before. I know what he's going. I know where this is going. Please don't, because this is me putting my hand on, my, on your shoulder and saying, let's together remember what is true. Are you with me? Amen. All right. Here we go. Uh, the, all these next three weeks, we remember that there are three inseparable circles. Uh, the church happens where God and you and others connect. Uh, the church is that little white rounded triangle in the middle. And whenever we try to separate those three, there's another graphic for that. It just it, it's wrong. There's, when you and others and God are separate, it's not the church. It's not what God designed. God designed us so that we grow whenever we interact with others. We grow when I interact with you, when you interact with others. We grow when we interact with God. Growth happens when we interact with him. Not when we believe something about him. Not when we say something out loud to each other about him. Not when we study until we finally think we got something right about him. When we interact with him. 
And when all three combine together and we're all moving in the same direction, being led by the Spirit of God, that's church. That's life. That's this real stuff that we have to offer the world that nobody else does. God guides and provides when we trust and obey. And to do that, we've got to put our relationship with God first. It's so important to remember as we walk through these next three weeks, these three ideas that we're talking about, God and you, us, and others, those three cannot be separated. All we're doing is zooming in today on God. This is the nexus of it all. This is our relationship with God is what all the other stuff depends on. But as you'll see one more time, I hope you can't separate it from all the other stuff. You can't separate God from relating to each other and relating to the world. You also see that this is part of, all of this points back to God himself and his character and his trinity nature, his triune nature, his cord of three strands nature. And as I've said before, if anybody tells you they really understand this, they don't. They really don't. It, you can't really understand this. Churches have split and formed over certain ways to try and explain this. If, if I say it a slightly different way today, please don't misunderstand me. I'm just trying to point you back to the scripture, which is consistent, that it always talks about God as a unit. God is three persons working together, and God is a singular God all at the same time. And I can't get my brain around that. What I can do is, again, today we can walk through it and understand that God has given us three distinct ways to interact with him. And we can't interact with God unless we interact with him in all three of these distinct ways. Again, another three. So let's walk through that together. We, here, here's, here's how the lines get so blurry. Remember the Great Commission. We, we talk about this all the time because everything that our church is based on, all of our plans, all our strategies are based on that. But you hear Jesus Christ himself saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God the Father gave him that authority. He says, with this authority, here's what I'm telling you to do. He's bringing us into the mix. That's always his strategy. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name of all three Go into all the world. There's you and us and God and others mixed together. Do you see how blurry this is? But how it's so consistent. It's always all of this. And he goes on. He says, teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And how's he with us? Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. All three persons of God, all three ways to interact with God, and God inviting us into that mix so that we, together with God, can invite other people into the mix. This is always the inseparable three pattern that you see God using. So here's the first way that we interact with God is as God the Father. And, and, and is, we all need God to father us. Would you say these three words with me? Say it out loud. I want it to stick. Ready? God fathers us. And I understand that there are so many of every, any audience anywhere. I'm not picking on Morrison Hill, but I understand that in any place you go these days in the world, there are people who really get what a good father is about because of how their father, or maybe their grandfather treated them. There are other people who just the word is almost horrific because of how badly somebody dropped that ball. What, what, what God does is he, he's the prototype of what it should be. God fathers us in that he gives us 
life. He provides for us. He gives us an environment where we can live and live fully and gives us everything we need for that to happen. He disciplines us. He teaches us. He prepares us for life. When necessary, he comforts us. He gives us real responsibilities. He celebrates with us when we get it right. And he motivates us and does the whole thing again to make sure that we're prepared to face life. And he backs us up. In all of these ways and so many more, God fathers us. Again, we see in a story, we see all three persons, though. It all swirls around. It always swirls around. But this is one of those moments where you see God celebrating and, and, and acting as a father to Jesus. Matthew writes, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Fathers and also mothers, let me encourage you to follow the example of our Heavenly Father here. Especially in really powerful moments, but you should say it way more often than that. Remind your children how much you love them. Give them some real reasons as to why. Make sure that you celebrate. Make sure you say that when you're alone with them. Make sure you say that when you're in the presence of others as God did here. This is my kid. Man, I love them. That's a powerful, powerful thing that God does. And then you see Jesus. Again, you see all three persons in that. God the Father saying out loud. Jesus getting baptized. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Here's Jesus acting like a father. Acting like his father to his disciples. In John 14. We're actually going to keep coming back to that passage a lot this morning. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There, if this were, I'm sorry, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way that I am going. Skip to the bottom of this passage. We'll come back to the middle in a second. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we walked through this together. The idea of peace in the scriptures is way less about a feeling and much more about true completeness, true unity, uh, something complex coming into one unified whole. And the, the unrivaled way, the unrivaled sense of peace that comes from something like that happening. It's being called into this Trinity relationship, this oneness with God and into his purposes on earth. But he says, I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. Wait a second. Greater? This is one of those really confusing ones. Here's Jesus acting like God the Father, talking about God the Father, and saying that God is greater than him. Aren't they the same? Aren't they one? Yes. And yet, this word here, the clue that he's using here, it's the same word that he uses all the time. Jesus used this term a lot. He said great, greater, and greatest. And it's always the same root word. He, for example, he said, of all the people ever born, none is greater than John the Baptist. Same word. 
When he said, whoever is greatest in the kingdom of heaven is going to be the servant of all. You can probably think of several others that he used this idea. It's a term of authority. It's a term of him submitting. It's a reminder that God the Father, hear me on this. This is one of the three primary ways we have to relate to God. Are you with me? Everybody listening? Okay. God the Father is how we relate to God as our ultimate authority. He is the creator. He is the designer. He is the ultimate authority. He's the source of our identity, the source of our life, the source of our purpose. He's the source of everything. And we dare not question him on the things that he has outlined and said, this is how it goes. God the Father is above us. It's not on the screen, but would you say that? Let's say God is above us. Let's say that together. God is above us. We have to relate to him that way. But at the same time, there's so much more going on. Well, let, let's look a little deeper, though, into how this works. Matthew 23, verses 8 to 12, Jesus says, Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. There's that word again. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, this is not Jesus saying it's wrong or a sin for us to call our real fathers father or to call someone who's teaching us something a teacher. What he's saying is don't identify yourself primarily by that. God forbid anybody ever says, listen, you want to really understand the Bible, you've got to listen to John Pryor. He gets it. I hope I get it. I try so hard. I do my best. I'm trying my best to tell you the lie. But all I'm doing is try to point you to God. I'm trying to point you to God's word. And any teacher who does that is great. But you have one teacher. Are you with me? Amen. As God, through the Holy Spirit. That's always how it has to be. God is the greatest father. Psalm 68, 5 says he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. John the apostle writes, see how very much our father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. And the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Again, God is above us. We've got to relate him, relate to him as our father. But there's more. We've also got this God with us. This Jesus the Son, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Lord part of God. Separate character that's one. However that all works together, I'm not going to try to pretend that I totally get it. But it's always all of the above in the scripture. Okay? Here's what we see about Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Let's say it together. Jesus saves us. He rescues us. He rescues us from the lies and the habits, the tendencies, and the destinies that we would never be able to avoid without his help. We have to have him save us. We have to have him. And he is the only one who could save us. That's why the Bible calls him the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. They all mean the same thing. He's the one chosen person who could save us, and he did. 
He paid the penalty for our sins. He broke the power of sin itself. He made it possible for us to experience eternal life starting right now here in this life. I love how Matthew celebrates as he's writing the Christmas story that we walk through every year. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and in the story in Matthew 1. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We're simply God with us. Jesus is God with us. Again, this isn't on the screen, but would you say this out loud as well? God is with us. Can you say that with me? God is with us. Let's put those two together one more time. They can't be separated. God is above us. God is with us. Say it with me. God is above us. God is with us. Hallelujah. But even when he's with us, we get confused. Even when Jesus was physically with his people, they were confused. I love Thomas. He's one of my favorite characters, actually, in the New Testament especially. He, he gets a bad rap. He's called Doubting Thomas. He never really doubted. He just asked really good questions pretty consistently. The only nickname he's ever given in the scriptures is Thomas the twin, because he had a ten, twin brother. But he consistently asked really good, really practical questions. Those of you that are engineers or just deep thinkers, you guys would really like Thomas. I don't call him Doubting Thomas. But he's really blunt here. When Jesus says, you know the way to the place that I'm going, he says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thank God that we don't just have the distant character, the creator, the designer, the Father, the ultimate authority, God. We also have the God with us, person in history, tangible, quotable, visible God with us of Jesus the Son. Great story. One of my favorites in the New Testament is in John chapter 4. I hope you go back and reread that again. It's probably very familiar to you. But it's where Jesus goes to visit a woman in Samaria. And it's another one where you just you barely just squint a little bit and you can see all three persons of God swirling around in this. Because God consistently, God the Father consistently called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament. He was there long before this version of Samaria was there. This version of Israel and Samaria's relationship was there. He was there when the well got dug. He was there. He's above the whole thing. He's got, he's got it. He's got a plan that's way bigger than any of this other stuff. And yet in this moment, here is God the Son, physically present, walking a place where the other Israelites would not go, talking to someone that even some of her people would be embarrassed to talk to, reaching out in a tangible way that people could not imagine God the Father reaching out in. And yet he, reach, he, 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 he does it. Over and over, he surprises people, but he's right there in the mix, and he's doing things that nobody expects. Why? Because the Spirit is moving in and through him, and in that woman, and in his disciples, and in everybody else in this situation. This is all one big plan, and real change is happening. 
There's so much more going on in that story than Jesus just asking for a drink of water. Speaking of water, though, that's one of the best illustrations I've ever heard. It doesn't explain the Trinity. Don't get me wrong. I've heard people go, oh, it's easy to understand the Trinity. Just think about water. And then they tell me what I'm about to tell you. It still doesn't make it make sense. Nothing makes it make sense. But it does help me understand. And I hope it helps you understand what we're walking through today. I do not understand how two H's and one O get together and create one thing that never separates after that. You know what I'm saying? Two hydrogen atoms, one oxygen atom. They combine. They're not hydrogen and oxygen anymore. Now they're water. I don't get that. But once it happens, it happens. And I see that in creation. And then there's water. And how many like interacting with just water? You drink it. You swim in it. You, you water ski on it. You, you know what I'm saying? Water's great. How many like ice? I don't get how totally different ice is than water. But I know how to use it. I know how to put it in water and shake it up, and I love it when it's cold. Are you with me? How many like hot water? How many know that it's dangerous? You have to be careful with hot water in ways you don't have to be careful with cold water. Unless it's really, really, really cold and you're trying to swim in it or something. But you get where I'm trying to go, right? Hot water, it makes coffee. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hot water is showers. Are, are you with me? Like, it, I don't understand how they can be so different. And it's all the same thing. But I can interact in it with water in all those three ways. And I do pretty much every day. And I'm very thankful. That's not going to solve all your problems, all your questions about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But I hope it, it's one way that I, I've been able to, to say, okay, I don't have to understand it. But I can interact with him in these three ways. I can do that every day. If I understand enough how to do it, that's all I really need. Paul celebrates this when he writes, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit, spirit of the Father, the spirit, when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him, we call him, Abba Father, we're called into this relationship just like Jesus prayed father I pray that they may be one just as you and I are one Galatians 4 6 Paul writes and because we are his children God has sent the spirit of his son again there's God the son and the spirit but the spirit of God spirit of his son it, you can't separate them God has sent the spirit of his son into his our hearts prompting us to call out Abba Father, again, we're called into it. Peter starts his epistle, his first epistle. This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. I skipped a couple of specific people he listed. They're important. I'm just trying to get to how it applies to us a little faster. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Grace being favor, being forgiveness, being more chances, being patience. Being uh, the more chances to become more like our Father through the influence of Jesus and the Spirit. And peace being being called into that unified whole where we become one with God and each other and even invite the rest of the world into that. 
These can't be separated. They're all one huge idea. That's why Jesus said in John 3 that we must be reborn to be part of the kingdom of God. We've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. He used the same image almost in John 4, talking to the woman at the well. Right there by physical water, he uses it again. And he says, but it, and then he talks about this. He says, we must be worshiping in spirit and in truth. This is another thing that you can't really separate. So many times, so many churches around the world, all of us, we're vulnerable to both sides, I think, here. But a lot of churches, they're so concerned that they get the answers right, that they don't violate any scriptures, that there's really, the Holy Spirit might never show up for weeks and nobody knows the difference. We cannot go there. We can't. Other churches are so, so obsessed with there has to be a tangible experience, even if they have to create it with smoke and lasers and, you know, keyboards and whatever else, making wonderful little subtle sounds that we don't pick up on. Whatever it is, there's something, they're like, there's got to be an experience. They might not even know if it's the real spirit sometimes. Jesus says he, he wants his followers to worship in spirit, the actual spirit, the tangible presence of God himself, and in truth, based in everything that he is as the son, everything that God is as the ultimate authority, the father. But somehow, mystically, only the, how God can do this, everybody can approach him in spirit and in truth. To be reborn in water and in the spirit, and amazing things can happen. Are you catching this vision? I hope, again, that all of this is so familiar. We're about to wrap up together this morning, but I hope that you can catch how fundamental this is. If, if not just that we understood it or that, or that we've heard it or we can check it off, yes, I agree, or whatever else, but if this was the core, this was the nexus, this was the very center of every relationship that we ever have, it would change everything, and it needs to. Back to John 14 one more time. Jesus is talking to his disciples again, and he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. I love that line. He's saying he is with you now and later will be in you as in the form of the Holy Spirit. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. Are you with me? Let's say it out loud together. The Holy Spirit unites us. Everybody, let's try it. The Holy Spirit unites us. And he does that by empowering us and by guiding us. He gives us gifts, tools that we can use to work together. They're always designed to work together, not separately. Any one of the gifts or two or three don't really accomplish God's goals. We need all of them in every group that God creates. But he gives us these gifts. He creates his fruit in us. We just spent a lot of time talking about that recently. He guides and he empowers us, but it's always in a way that connects us, that empowers us to serve as one, one family, one God, one Father, one Lord, one baptism. Are you with me? It's always serving as one. All the images, we're one family, we're one body, we're one flock. The Spirit of God invites us to work as one. Many, but one. Just like somehow God is three, 
but one. And constantly with a a never-ending passion to bring more into this oneness. To constantly be reaching out and bringing more people in. Just like God the Father in His perfect unity, in His perfect oneness, in His perfectness in every way is constantly calling imperfect people into that. He calls us to do the same thing. So we can't separate these. Again, church happens. Brothers and sisters, church happens when God and you and others overlap and intersect. In the same way, the same amazing, unimaginable, but real tangible way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit overlap and intersect. This is the model that we are called into. This is what marriage is based on. This is what church is based on. This is what friendship is based on. This is what mentorship is based on. Everything that God has put in the scriptures is this is what a relationship looks like is based on this three thing, three in one. Now, if we know that, if we remember that, it literally can change everything. God guides and provides when we trust and obey. So I've got three questions for you this morning. They're actually on the sermon outline. And I hope that you'll ask them to yourself later. But if you, could, if you already have an answer, if the Spirit's leading you this morning, you can make that choice right now. The first one is this. How do you need God to father you today? Maybe you need comfort. Maybe you need discipline. Maybe you need some more teaching. I don't know. But if you need God to father you today, I, I know you do. How do you need God to follow you today? How do you need God to save you today? We can only have salvation through Jesus. And Jesus has made it very clear how to be saved. If you've never done that, if you've never gone through the entire process, today's your day. We can only, he is the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. How do you need, maybe you just need him to save you from a specific lie or specific habit or a specific something else. How do you need God to save you today? And what barriers, this is the last one, what barriers do you need God to break down for you today? The Spirit is always going to be trying to make us one. Are there barriers between you and God, barriers between you and others? Maybe you need to surrender that this morning. Whatever he's inviting you to do, please make that choice today. If it's something that needs to be public, please make that public today as we stand and as we sing together.